Hey friends, it's Brie James here with True Talks Podcast. So excited to be back today. Um, and today we have our first special guest, Miss Victoria Jones will be joining us in a little bit. She is a licensed clinical social worker um, and she provides services at the University of Memphis. So she has a lot of great tips for you guys. So please make sure you are listening in. And with that, we are going to jump right in with a mental health fact today. And so today I actually reviewed an article from Harvard Business Review. It's called How Organizations Can Support the Mental Health of Black Employees by Angela Neal Barnett. And the article touches a lot on systemic racism, interpersonal racism, and internalized racism. So it does a great job in giving the definitions for those and the differences um, of all those things. But the biggest thing that it touched on, providing black employees with a safe space, um, making sure people are coming in, skilled experts that can talk about racial trauma um, and can help them process it's one thing to read a pamphlet and put up a PowerPoint for your employees, but it's another thing to actually have people that come in and look like them and can talk to them about these issues. Uh, showing support at an organizational level stands out to employees. So making sure you're doing all that you can for your employees is a must, especially in this day and age. Things are still happening around the world, around the globe, and and this article does a great job with touching base on just a lot of things on how organizations can do better to support their black employees. And I think it's a great read. So if you guys have time, again, it is by the Harvard Business Review written by Angela Neal Barnett. And the title of it is How Organizations Can Support the Mental Health of Black Employees. So with that, listeners, we are going to jump right in with talking with Miss Victoria Jones. Again, she is a licensed clinical social worker, and she is here to kind of answer some of the questions you guys submitted and also talk a little bit about what she has to do. So, Miss Victoria Jones. Thanks so much, Bree. Hi, everybody. I'm Victoria Jones. I am a licensed clinical social worker. I work at the University of Memphis in our counseling center, and I've been doing this for almost seven years now, and I really enjoy working with students, doing trainings, workshops, and really helping students become the best version of themselves. This is the pivotal time coming into college, um, being a young adult, and you can really see some really great growth and change that you can take into your later adult years. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. We are so excited to kind of kick off our special guest with you. Thanks again for coming out. Um, so we're going to jump right into some of the questions that you guys submitted to me. Um, thank you guys for reaching out, and I know you guys have a lot of questions, so we kind of condensed them down a little bit. Um, but of course, stay tuned for all the other guests we'll have, and we'll definitely try to hit those questions. But like I said, we're going to jump right in. So first off, we have, what influenced you to become a therapist? Yeah, so when I was in high school, I was a student athlete, and I had several knee injuries that inhibited me from continuing to, you know, play my sports, and when I realized that, you know, sports wasn't the only thing in my life anymore, I kind of started learning a little bit about psychology and getting help and therapy, and I was really helped um, by a therapist when I was in high school and influenced me to want to help others. I'd always been of drawn to talking to others helping others and then when I learned that that was a profession I thought hey I'm gonna go you know study this and go into this field 
Um, during my undergrad, I learned about different ways to be a therapist and getting my master's of social work fit the most for me. Um, the approach that comes with social work and kind of looking at the whole person and taking an eclectic approach and, you know, really meeting people where they're at um, from a, you know, individual level all the way up to a systemic level just really spoke to me. So I did my training at the University of Memphis in their Master's of Social Work program, and I've really enjoyed you being able to use that training to help others um, in the community, and it's been a great experience. But there's so many different ways that you can become a therapist, but this really fit well for me after speaking with different programs. All right, that's awesome. I definitely understand with, you know, having to have that experience a little bit and figuring out where you fit. Um, so thanks for touching on that a little bit. Next we have um, therapist self-care. So what does self-care kind of look like for you? Uh, so my self-care journey has definitely been a journey. I've gone through different paths, and sometimes it's just what feels good for that day. So I'm really big on exercise and eating healthy, um, but also sometimes you just need to spoil yourself and treat yourself a little bit. So I do like yoga. I like being outside. And in the last, really with COVID, has shown me how much I like being outdoors. So going to the park and just being out in the sunshine just can be really rejuvenating for me. I really love reading and learning about my profession, but also just having some entertainment value as well. And then always scheduling time for yourself, whether that is doing a meditation or making some time for social obligations, but you have to be flexible with yourself. So I don't like to say that I have one way to do self-care, but sometimes it's just listening to my body and listening to what's going on in my life at the time and going with that for the day and just kind of trusting and not always being so strict or structured with myself. That's awesome. I definitely talked about how you kind of have to give 100% of yourself and how you do that is recharging yourself. So giving yourself that day sometimes even to just lay in your PJs is something that I think everybody needs once in a while. Um, but moving on, we would like some college tips from you. So um, whether that's undergrad or your grad program or, you know, if they you kind of approach it the same way, what's maybe one or two tips that you would give students entering college? So I would say my advice for students entering college, whether you're undergrad or graduate school, is to try new things, but also be flexible again with yourself. So maybe that is going to a new meeting for the first time for a club that you maybe haven't learned a lot about. Maybe it's trying a leadership role. Maybe it's just being a, you know, a full-on member. Connecting with people, I think, is the best opportunity you have in college, and that can be at a lot of different platforms. And in this day and age, there are so many online groups and digital ways that you can connect with other people. And I think just college is such a great time that you're never going to have another opportunity where all like-minded or different people are going to come together. And so taking advantage of that. Uh, if you do struggle with social settings, sometimes it's just practicing, you know, do it one time, sit in the meeting, talk to one person and see how that goes. And if it doesn't go so great, you know, that doesn't mean it's not going to happen again, but it's just that, that risk versus reward mentality, because again, that time of college, you're never going to have another opportunity that I've seen to be able to connect with people the way you can um, in a higher education setting. 
I totally agree. Um, I think the networking aspect of joining anything is very beneficial. Um, again, you will meet tons of different people that you probably never um, had before, and so I think it's a great opportunity to kind of spread your wings a little bit any chance you get. And now we have Zoom, so you know you don't even have to show up to some meetings sometimes. Um, but thank you for that. Okay, so now I have some questions from the students. They would like to know, how do you know if progress is being made in sessions um, when you have a patient coming in? Um, either from their standpoint, if they ask you, like, you know, I'm still feeling this way, you know, am I going to get better? Or from your standpoint um, of just seeing that progress. Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think progress can definitely be subjective, but can also be objective. So using accurate assessment tools can definitely paint the picture with evidence that you're making progress. So sometimes it's hard to see how things have changed until you see it on paper. So sometimes I like to just give that evidence, like look at your scores, look at how the scales are. They really have improved. Or maybe this one has gone down uh, of an area that you were complaining about, and maybe this area has gone up. So focusing on what the improvements are and you're not going to fix everything at once and you're not going to be good at everything. You know, that's why we call them, you know, strengths and growth edges in our field, because you can always grow at something. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be the best at it, but it's the progress in that. And then the other piece too, is I always try to focus on feelings. I'm very emotion focused when it comes to therapy. And so it's kind of going back to the perception of how they're feeling. So if they're feeling that they're not making progress. Let's dig into why that is. And maybe we can combat that negative cognitive belief about why they aren't making progress with maybe some specific evidence from our therapy sessions or how we can figure out what the barrier is from seeing that progress. And then sometimes maybe it's just not a good fit. I've given you all the tools that I have, you know, from my training and my therapy standpoint, maybe it is time for you to you know, explore other options with another modality of therapy, another type of therapist, or maybe it's just taking a break from therapy for a little bit because we can talk all day in therapy. If you go to a three-hour therapy session, doesn't mean you're going to get better faster than someone who comes, you know, once a month. So sometimes it is just, hey, take some time, get some new perspective, and then we can always jump back into it. So those are a couple of the ways that I look at progress and expect Uh, help clients see what progress is looking like. Awesome. Thank you for that. Another thing that I like to think of pretty much with anything, things aren't really linear. So you might backtrack a few steps on something or you might jump really high off of something when you go to a session. Um, But I think if anything, when you realize there's a problem and you need to get help with it, that's that's the first step. You made that realization. So um, but you kind of led into our next question. Um, and you talked about, you know, maybe you're not the right fit. So if somebody does come to you from somebody else, though, how do you kind of approach that? And how do you, um, I guess, handle it differently than where they came from? Yeah. And I'm so glad, Bree, that you brought up the linear aspect of progress, because sometimes it is taking a different path or taking a step back that's going to help you figure out which way it is to go. We are on a journey without a map. We know what the end result, where we want to get to, but sometimes it's just, let me pick right this time, and then I'm going to turn back around if that's not the right way. But it's a lot of kind of just feeling and figuring out what works for you. So it can be a little frustrating sometimes, but that's how we learn best is trying things out. 
And so when I have a client that has had, you know, previous therapy before, I always like to talk about what was helpful in that setting, because if they went, you know, a couple of times, there was something that drew them to continue to go. So I always kind of broach the subject about that, what was helpful. And then what were the barriers and can I help with those barriers or am I also not a good fit? So I like to talk about that in those initial sessions when I have somebody that is coming from another therapist or has had previous therapy. And I always want to meet the person where they're at too. And so I'm, I'm transparent about my ability to help them effectively or get them to someone else that I believe in that moment would be able to help them a little bit more. And so sometimes it's just listening to the person and talking through their experience first before I jump in and offer any type of intervention that I would be able to do. So I always say just I listen to what the client's experience was and validate that, yeah, that probably was hard to go to somebody, open up, and then it wasn't so great. So how does it feel coming to me now and having to start all that over? Is there something that I can do or be mindful of to make this comfortable for you? And then if it's not working, I always tell them, let me know. Hey, Victoria, this is not really working for me anymore. Can we go a different direction? Great. Let's do that. It's not about me. It's your journey. You're in the driver's seat. I'm the navigation system going along with you. So I might suggest going right. But if you turn left, I'm going left with you until we say otherwise. I might encourage you like, hey, it's may still be good to go right, um, but I'm going to let you figure that out on your own too when you're ready to go right. So it's just meeting people where they're at. It's definitely awesome. Um, great advice. And I think being open about, hey, you know, if this isn't working out, um, I think a lot of people are fearful of that. And especially open, opening up to just anyone is hard on its own. So going to somebody completely different, I know, can be a challenge. Um, but we're going to wrap up with our last question um, from another student, and that is how do you compartmentalize some of the awful things you may hear in a session? Yeah, that is a great question. And there is a aspect of therapy that can become too much and can create burnout. And so you have to have compassion for yourself. We cannot just always be on, always be empathetic, always be ready to listen. There has to be an outlet for yourself as well. And that goes not just in the therapy world, that goes into anything. You do something too much, you're going to burn yourself out. And so I have a routine that I do when I'm leaving work. If I'm driving or if I'm, you know, virtual, I have a specific kind of task. Like I close everything out. I take my keys off right before I start my car or I, you know, scoot my chair in. And that's kind of my mental log of um, a mental section of when I'm like, okay, I'm done for the day. I can go now be the other part of me. I'm not the therapist anymore. I can go be just me or whatever other piece I have for my day that I need to complete. So that's one of the ways that I've been able to compartmentalize, but there's a, there's a lot of different, you know, approaches to that. Sometimes it is, you know, extra self-care, but those cues for me are really what helps me then shift mentally into the next part of my day. Um, I know, I think just at my time at the university, I've seen a video where um, it's a man getting off work and he pulls up into his driveway and he literally 
hangs up his work on the tree outside right before he goes in to meet with his family. So I think that's great that you kind of have that mental log of, okay, I'm pushing in my chair, I'm closing out, I'm done for the day. I think everybody kind of needs to be reminded of that sometimes, you know, because um, sometimes work or anything can really get too much. So um, making a mental note of that is definitely great. Um, so thank you so much, Victoria, for answering these questions we had sent in to us. We are closing out the show, guys, with our true wellness tip. Mine for the day is kind of what Victoria touched on a little bit is if you do not like your therapist, you can switch. You're totally open to doing that and you should not have a fear of, oh, they're not going to be okay with me moving or whatnot. Um, I think I've definitely requested therapists I want to see, whether that's at the school or, um, you know, just if it wasn't the right fit. So that is my tip for y'all today. Victoria, do you have a tip for them? Yeah, I'm so glad that you've done that for yourself, Bree, because it can be hard and, you know, you feel like you might hurt their feelings or whatnot, but this is your health, it's your wellness, and you should be able to pick, you know, who you want. It's just like any other thing. You know, when you go to the dentist, when you go to the doctor, if it's not a great fit or you don't take your insurance anymore, whatever it may be, you're going to switch. So having that piece of it, you're not going to hurt someone's feelings, and if their feelings are hurt, that's totally different, but you need to, you know, do what you need to do for yourself because you're the one that's going to get the most out of it. I would say my true tip is kind of what I alluded to before, but having those good boundaries for yourself. And so if you don't have those boundaries or you blur the lines a lot, that's going to create more stress for yourself. And what I mean by that is when you are on vacation, be on vacation. But if you leave yourself open to still working or still doing schoolwork, then you're not fully in that vacation mode. Same with if you're in school mode and you're not really focused and whatnot, that's also kind of your body's way of telling you, hey, like I need to have some kind of break or setting. Boundaries are there to keep things moving, keep things set. You see it in sports, right? There is a a line or a, a out of bounds area that keeps the game moving and people safe. Boundaries aren't supposed to be negative, but they sometimes get a negative connotation, but it's supposed to protect you and it's supposed to protect other people. So figure out what that boundary is and figure out when that boundary line is going to, you know, be let up and when it's going to be a hard, you know, I'm letting this down. That could be just an away message on your email. It could be turning off your notifications on your phone sometimes. I call it airplane mode for myself and mm-hmm. me and uh, my spouse will just turn that on. And so it's just, there's no interruptions or anything. It's just for us to kind of focus mm-hmm. and then we don't have to worry about the like light ups of your phone. So mm-hmm. figure out kind of those boundaries for you and stick with them because if you aren't good about sticking with them, then you're going to continue to blur those lines and you're not going to see that progress. So you don't have to be super strict about it, but it's going to be helpful when you set those, you know, what is, you know, setting for me and what is, uh, you know, a little bit more flexible. Awesome. Thank you so much, Victoria. And can you just remind the listeners where they can find you, um, especially University of Memphis students? Um, make sure you guys listen in where you can find Victoria. Yeah, so if you want to get set up with services at the University Counseling Center, if you are a current student enrolled in at least six credit hours, each student is eligible for individual group testing and other services that comes with your student activity fee. So all you have to do to get set up if you've never been in before is come to our virtual waiting room that's on our website or calling our office if you need something that is in person 
we make sure that we're going to accommodate, you know, whatever it is so we can set you up with some technology um, to access that virtual appointment. Um, and then from there, when you have filled out all your paperwork, you'll meet briefly with one of our therapists for a short initial session. Make sure we figure out what your needs are and what your schedule is. And then we'll set you up with a individual therapist or a group that best fits your needs. So visit our website to learn more. Things do change with how things are. So some of this may be different by the time that you're listening. So memphis.edu backslash counseling is going to have the most up-to-date information about services and how to get with our services. And you can always call 901-678-2068 to speak with one of our administrative staff if you have further questions that aren't answered from our website. But please take care of yourself, Tigers. Reach out when you need us. Be well and be you. With that being said, I'm going to close out with how you can reach me, which is truetalkspodcast1 at gmail.com. If you have any questions, if you'd like to be featured on the show, or if you have any ideas on what to talk about next, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. And as always, remember to stay true to you.